counties and cities are in full swing adopting their operating budgets for fiscal year 2021. I often visit with county and city officials to discuss their budgets, but today I have the pleasure of visiting with the office that regulates those approved budgets. My guests today are Betsy Knotts, Director of Local Government Finance, and John Greer, who works with the public utilities in the state. Good morning to both of y'all. Good morning. Good morning. Thank y'all so much for being here. This is kind of a first. I've had I've had legislators on with the state, but I've, I'm typically doing uh, interviews with local officials and, and or people that are at the chamber or uh, some public figures, public servants is my is my key, and y'all are public servants as well, doing what you do. You're helping public servants. So this is different for me, and I'm excited because, uh, as I told you, Betsy, the other day when we were in Van Buren County, that, you know, a lot of people that listen to this show or a lot of people out of the public don't know exactly what your office does, local government finance, with the comptroller's office, and some still really don't know what the comptroller is. So I get a lot of those questions, and I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to inform you know the public uh, about what you do and, and how you help counties, because so many people think about uh, they want to put a negative spin on the comptroller's office. Really, you're, I mean, you're regulatory for sure, and that's in the code, but you're really doing a lot like stuff like we do at CTAS. You're assisting counties. You're helping them out. You're consulting with them, trying to get them in, in a good spot. So trying to put a positive spin on that. I don't want people thinking y'all are the bad guy. Um so it's good to have y'all on. Um, I do want to, I just did find out for those who are listening, I found out from both of them, Betsy and John were both DJs, radio DJs in the past. So I got to know, I got to know what, what y'all did in the radio business, because this is something that's, that, that intrigues me. So Betsy, I'll start with you. How, what, what kind of DJ experience did you have? So I was, um, on the WTUL station in New Orleans, I believe it's 91.5 it's still out there. Um, I was a classical music DJ, so I did the early morning show. Um, I played a lot of, like, madrigals and symphonies. Um, I think even once the fire alarm went off when I was in the middle of the show, so I put a really long symphony on and walked out of the building until the fire alarm went off and then returned to my spot and continued my show. So, that is great. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's efficiency right there. So you you were you ready is. for that. So are, are you from New Orleans? Yes. Okay. I am. Nice. So you're a Cajun. We can call you a Cajun, I guess, right? That's fine. Okay. That's well, that's, fine. I actually didn't know you're from New Orleans. That's what I. That's that's one of the reasons I do this show. I learned about you, uh, John. I, what about your experience, DJing? Yeah. So I was actually in the Southern Gospel world with uh, Solid Gospel 105.1, which is uh, very was very popular actually in the Upper Cumberland area, the Southern Gospel Radio, and I. Uh, just DJed various shows. We did some talk shows, of course. Uh, had our Sunday morning programs that I would DJ a lot of times with the different churches that came on. So uh, it was it was a fantastic experience and, and learned a lot about kind of what Betsy was talking about, how to improvise when things don't go right. Nice. Now, so Betsy, I got to say, classical music. I like classical music, but as you're, I mean, I mean, as you're, are you doing a four hour show? And playing classical music, are you getting relaxed? Does it make you sleepy? I mean, how do you get through that? <laughs> <laughs> it was a two-hour show, okay. um, and it was relaxing. For the most part, I would play shorter. I called them pieces. I, you know, I play like madrigals and shorter pieces rather than entire symphonies. Obviously, I did that time the fire alarm went off because I wasn't sure how long I'd be out the building. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it was shorter pieces. Um, I studied music. Uh, in undergrad at Tulane, okay, and so I was very much into music theory and writing songs, and so um, 
it just fit to do a classical show. So instruments, do you play any instruments? Yeah. Um, back in the day I played piano a lot. I can still play, but not as good as I did back then. Um, I dabbled in saxophone and upright bass. So nice. yes, yeah, I grew up, my, my dad was a big jazz guy. So, wow. um, yeah. There's no ounce of musical talent in my body. So just in case y'all know, <laughs> um, John, what about you? If you're a DJ and you love gospel music, do you play any instruments? Yeah. Yeah. I play a piano a little, uh, play a little bit of everything and play nothing really well. It's the truth of it. So <laughs> I dabbled in some bluegrass. Cause if you're going to play Southern gospel, you better know how to play some bluegrass. So I wish I could play the banjo so much. Um, maybe one day I'll learn. Um, right quick, John, where are you from? I haven't asked you. I don't know where you're from. Yeah, so I grew up in Dixon County, a little town called White Bluff, sure. uh, Tennessee, here yeah. in Middle Tennessee, about 30 miles west of Nashville. I uh, still live uh, on the western side of Williamson County, so I've been here pretty much all of my life. Okay, so you, I assume you know probably Mary Bob Rawl fairly well in Dixon County? Very well, yeah, Bob's, very well. Bob's a good friend of mine. He's a good mayor, too, so... Uh, good deal. So I, I want to want to get into, and again, this is great having y'all on, but I want to get into the Office of Local Government Finance. And it, it's changed. The name changed. I think, and Betsy, you can get into the function part of it, but the name changed. It used to be the Office of State and Local Government Finance. That changed, affected what, January 1? Is that correct? Yeah. So, and then you, you did you start January 1 as the new director? Yes. Okay. I did. So you, you're now the director of Office of Local Government Finance, but you had been with the Comptroller's Office or with the state before. Correct. So um, my career started at the Texas Attorney General's Office. So okay. I worked, I've been in state government my whole career. I have a law degree. Um, I started off in public finance law at the Texas Attorney General's Office, did that for five and a half years, and then transferred to the Tennessee Attorney General's Office continuing to do financial legal work. Um, the comptroller's office was one of my state agency clients and promptly realized that they did fantastic work and wanted to, and I wanted to work in-house with them and they wanted me there. So I transferred over there in 2013 and have been in the comptroller's office in a variety of roles uh, since then and plan to continue to have my entire career at this office. It's a wonderful place to work. And I feel like we, our mission is to make government work better. And I really feel like we do that. Yeah. I think you've started off really well the first part of the year. Uh, now you've walked into an absolute um, uh, firestorm here with everything going on with COVID and it's, it's absolutely changed the way counties and cities are operating. And you know that and you're, you're hearing it every day. Yeah. I know. And it's, so you've kind of, it, listen, if, if you can get through this, I feel you can probably get through anything. Uh, you and your office, so and y'all are doing great. But the the function of the office is is regulatory, and and people I think know that. But again, as I said, you're helping counties. But tell me about what the office of local government finance does. And, and you said your mission, but what is the role of that office? Sure. Yeah, it's a really interesting office. So um, prior to the split in January one, there was an office that combined both state government finance and local government finance. And the local government finance piece was kind of secondary, unfortunately, just because, you know, the state government finance piece had to be first. They um, manage the state's debt portfolio, and it's just there's a lot of complicated things that go into that. And so most of the staff was dedicated to that. We only had a few really great folks dedicated to local government. So January 1 of this year, 
we expanded that. We doubled the number of analysts. Um, we now have six focused on uh, local governments. Um, and then we also merged with the utility boards. And that's why John Greer's on this call. He's my assistant director and has, has had a main focus on utilities for many years. And so we now are, are merged together. And so there's 11 of us total working on um, local government finance across the state of Tennessee. And yes, it's regulatory, but it's, it's, it's sort of a modern take on regulatory. I, I don't necessarily like the word regulatory. Sure. It's it sort of, you know, starts to sound old fashioned. Um, we, we are really primarily focused on uh, the fiscal health of all local governments in Tennessee, long-term fiscal health. Um, when you think of the comptroller's office, you think of the comptroller's audit primarily, and that is their core function. I mean, the comptroller is the state auditor. Right. But audit is really focused on the presentation of financial statements. So they're at the, the end of a fiscal year making sure what's presented um, to the public is accurate. Um, and they are really important to our mission in the Office of Division of Local Government Finance. But ours is long-term fiscal health. So we're tracking along with the local governments through the entire fiscal year. We're following through, following them through their typical year when they're planning to borrow money, when they're adopting their budget, uh, when they're trying to close their books, when they encounter a month where they're like, oh, my gosh, I don't have enough money. Um, I'm not going to be able to – I don't have enough cash to get through this month. They call us. Right. Um, and so we're – you know, we, I think audit is, um, having a clean audit to, to us is a sign of long-term fiscal health, right. um, but it's not um, the end-all be-all. So we approve budgets of counties, cities, utilities. Um, we also approve short-term loans. So if they got to go to a bank to take out a loan to buy a fire truck, they need to come to us and talk to us about sure. it um, because we want to make sure they're getting the best deal that that they can get and they're not, you know, wasting taxpayer funds. And that's, and that's great. And, and y'all have been so proactive in being involved in, in the, the restructuring of the office, as you said, January 1, is I have noticed a big difference. And so you have more people, then it's easier to get in touch with somebody at your office and they can communicate and everything's a little bit more transparent. So that's great. we got about 20 seconds. I'll wrap up this segment. And, and John, we're not going to leave you out, buddy, I promise. Uh, so just hang on with me. But we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the role of the office because you, you summed it up really well. But get into how you and I've probably worked a little bit together on some stuff. So uh, you're listening to Trending. Uh, this is going to be a great show. Had seg one segment done. I'll be back in just a minute. Uh, I have Betsy Knotts and I have John Greer with me from the State Comptroller's Office. We'll be back in just a moment. This has been Rogers, and I have Betsy Knotts and John Greer with me. They are uh, employed at the Comptroller's Office of Tennessee with the Office of Local Government Finance. Used to be State and Local Government Finance. It's now Local Government Finance where – They've actually expanded the office and are assisting counties and cities and utilities um, and have have more people doing that. We didn't get to talk to John Greer much in the first segment. He's with the utility side. And, John, I want to make sure we cover that, too, because utilities are so important. And actually, and, and, and I know you and I hadn't got to talk, but in, in my career, I'm working with counties. And, and I deal with cities very little because MTAS is doing that. And I know you probably work with MTAS a lot because they have a lot more utility uh, utility consulting they do than CTAS does, but I don't deal with utilities a lot. Now, my, my daddy, and I call him daddy, but my daddy, he is on the utility board here locally, uh, one of them, at Double Springs Utility. So 
I hear it from him. <laughs> of course, it's his side of it, so I don't <laughs> I don't know how how uh, partisan it is. But anyway, um, John, tell me what you do uh, for the Comptroller's Office for Utilities. Sure. So uh, we have two boards. We have the Water and Wastewater Financing Board, which oversees all cities, counties, and treatment authorities. And we have the Utility Management Review Board, which oversees the utility districts across the state of Tennessee, such as Double Springs Utility District. And uh, the entire function of our boards are to make sure that utilities are self-sufficient. So we want to make sure we have long um long-term healthy utilities. We take a holistic look at utilities that may be losing money or are losing water with the case of water utilities and, and try to put long-term plans in place that, that make sure that for the next generation and generations after that, we have uh, good utilities in the state of Tennessee because, as you know, they really are an economic driver for the entire state. Sure. Yeah, and so obviously, as Betsy said, y'all are approving their budgets, but are you working with them more as a, a process side of it too? Because the reason I bring that up is I know there's a local utility company here. It's it's better now, but before they were losing 50% of their water. It was 50% of their water was leaking out, and I figured, I mean, that's just astronomical. It's got to, they, they can't be making money um, when you're losing that much water. Are y'all assisting in that way as well? We are. We are. And uh, Betsy and I are very familiar with that utility that you're talking about. And, and just to kind of give you an example, in that case, what we did is we went in and we took a look at not only their uh, financial situation, we took a look at the technical and managerial situation that they had. We ended up actually um, helping them get new board members that uh, were really, really well qualified to help that utility turn around. And in just a few short years, that utility is now uh, one of the best performing utilities in your region uh, and doing very well financially and losing very little water. So we, we provide technical advice, technical assistance when utilities are losing water or when they're having issues uh, from an operational standpoint. We, we provide a lot of advice when it comes to policies to how uh, utilities can best serve their customers because at the end of the day, we're focused on the same thing that the utilities are focused on, and that's serving their customers. Sure, um, that that's the charge we have is to act for public welfare, just like the local utilities do. That's great. And so, when when you get the phone call, um, of course, like me, I'm a request for service basis, uh, and, and of course, Betsy's office gets phone calls. But also, if they hear something, I, and I don't want to speak for you, Betsy, but if you hear something, you're going to call that county or city and say, "Hey, this is what's going on. We need to try to help you." I'm request for service. Is it more? Is that the way you operate, John, or do you or do you call and check on them and they tell you, well, we're not doing good, and you just go and help? Because I, 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 I get more phone calls to come. I don't have to call them. Are you okay? They just go ahead and call me to come. Is that the same thing with you? Yeah, we actually have really two separate functions, and I probably should have mentioned this at first. We have the the first side of utilities call us and say we need your help, and of course we'll go help them all we can. Then we have the side where if a utility has basically lost money for two years or, or lost too much water, uh, they're referred to us by audit. And at that point, when we um, we are, you know, the regulator at the end of the day, like you're saying, but uh, we really look at it as we're, we're trying to be a resource, not a regulator. But there are those cases where a utilities in trouble financially gets referred to our boards and we go through a process of helping them have such as a rate study. We take a holistic look at every policy they have to make sure uh, they're set up for long-term success, and we have the boards, which are uh, 
full of utility experts. It's not just people in Nashville. These are utilities, uh, utility managers, utility commissioners. These are people who are actually in the field every day. So, so we come to our board with recommendations and, and provide help long term, maybe to see those blind spots that utilities can't see in their everyday work. Gotcha. That's great. And for instance, when you have a county or when I say utility that calls you and says, hey, we're losing 50 percent of our water. We don't know why. What's your first what's the first thing you do? Because that's one of the questions I asked when I heard about this utility district losing that amount of water. I'm like, well, what do they do? Do they just start going checking all the lines? Do they tighten everything up? I don't know. I'm not a water guy. So what happens there? Yeah. So the first thing we typically ask are, are the are the simple questions about. Hey, do you know if you have a large leak somewhere? Are you losing water pressure? Are you getting calls from customers saying we have low water pressure in in certain areas? Uh, Part of the problem with that utility losing 50% of their water is they're really not set up for fire protection. So they would have uh, sometimes at night there would be a fire. Someone would tap into one of the fire hydrants on the line, and it would drain part of the system that wasn't really being accounted for. So we ask all of those questions, you know, what's your water pressure? If you have high pressure, even a small leak, you can lose a lot of water very, very quickly. Um, just the, the basic question is, do you, do you look for leaks? Do you have a leak detection program? Uh, you know, it's simple things like, is there water randomly running in a ditch where there shouldn't be water in a ditch because there's not a creek there? Those types of things that we look for and ask the utilities. And a lot of times we can, figure out pretty quickly uh, if there is a uh, major problem or an apparent problem. And then if there's not, we get a little more into the technical side of zone meters where we pick, say, five different zones in a, in a system, and you put one meter in each of those zones to tell if one place is using a lot more water than the other, and you can kind of narrow down where maybe there is a leak if you've got one area using a lot of water. We also ask our utilities that are losing a lot of water to check to see how much water that they're pumping out, say, at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. when 99% of your customers are not going to be using water. We know if there's a high flow rate in an area at 3 a.m. that there's probably a leak there and that we can narrow it down and try to find it. Wow, that's good information. I had no clue. That's um, and I, I'm sure my daddy could have told me that. I don't know, maybe not, but I've never asked that question uh, in the last couple of years. So that's good information. I, I'm going to get back to you, John, about some of the budget struggles you hear from utilities, but I, want to, I also want to talk to Betsy. Uh, and we're in middle of budget season, and of course uh, we know that that you're encouraging counties to pass a budget by next week on the third, June thirtieth. Uh, how many counties do you know have passed their budget so far uh, in Tennessee by by this point? So, um, so far we have received five completely passed budgets from counties. Okay. Um, Hardeman, Henderson, Hickman. Hickman we've actually already approved. Lincoln and Scott County. Okay. And... Um, in preparation, I went and looked at last year. We only received 12 of the 95 budgets um, within two weeks of June 30. Okay. Um, and so, obviously, our goal this year is to receive more than 12. So, two of the five that we received were on that list from last year. So, I'm hoping oh. we've at least received three. Well, and, three yeah, additional. exactly. <laughs> well, and I know that I, I talked to, to Pickett County last week uh I guess it was early this week. They actually voted. Um, they have they have twelve commissioners. I don't. You may be aware. I don't know. 
you know, I haven't talked about it, but they voted seven to five on the budget. Well, the county clerk, and he's great. Charlie is wonderful. He's a great clerk. He just, he, he kind of forgot and thought it was a two-thirds majority vote to pass the budget. And so he called me the next day and said, just to make sure I'm confirming this. It's two-thirds majority, majority vote to pass the budget. And I said, no, Charlie, it's a simple majority. I said, so Pickett County needs seven out of the 12. He goes, well, we passed the budget, but I told them we didn't. So <laughs> I don't know. I told them <laughs> what I told them in that instance was, listen, technically you passed the budget. Now you still have to sign off on the resolution as county clerk and, and, and stamp your certified stamp on there. And the county mayor has to sign. But I said, as, as a formality, and I don't know when they're going to do it, so it may – it may get them past the 30th, but I was hoping they would do it before the 30th. The, as a formality, have another meeting and just formally recognize the budget's been passed and, and go from there. So you may be hearing from Pickett County. So you might be able to add that. Wonderful. Yeah, because yeah, they tried to exciting. pass it, and they did pass it. They just didn't recognize they passed it. So They didn't realize. Yeah, no, that's that's really exciting. I mean, I think we, we encourage uh, local governments to pass by June 30th because that's really the end of the fiscal year, and you need to start. The budget is a planning document, um, and you really need to be have it passed and have your plan ready for the, the upcoming fiscal year, which starts July 1. Obviously, um, there are some situations where, you know, we've had that in Van Buren, also in Decatur County, where the county's having some financial struggles, and they really need to do a deep dive and make sure their budget is as good as it can be, and it takes a little longer. Um, and that that makes perfect sense to extend it out maybe into July or August and, and pass your fiscal year operating budget maybe in August instead of June 30. Um, but we really encourage local government to get it done by June 30 because that is the end of, that, of the fiscal year. Sure, and you and I have talked about that, and we, we may address that a little bit more in the next segment. Uh, you listen to Trending. It's been good so far. Betsy Knotts and John Greer from the uh, director or the local government finance office with the comptroller's office. Betsy is the director. John's assistant director. He works in utilities. They're going to continue to give us more good information when we come back in just a moment. My guests today are Betsy Knotts from the uh, office of the comptroller treasury uh, for Tennessee, and then John Greer is her assistant director, and they're with the local government finance office, who was formerly known as the Office of State and Local Government Finance. Uh, that changed over January 1, as we had stated. We we're talking about the June 30th deadline before we left, and that is the end of the fiscal year for counties uh, and, and most cities, unless their charter's different. Cities typically, I think, Betsy, a lot of them try to pass their budget before June 30th, and a lot of them are successful. Is that, I mean, is that not correct? No, that's correct. I mean, I would say the majority of the budgets that we have on our desk right now are city, yeah. city budgets. And that's just something they've always done. And you mentioned before we left, counties have not really always done that. And, and there's nothing wrong, I think, what y'all are doing and, and encouraging them to try to get it passed by June 30th. I think that's perfectly fine because that's what the law mentions. Uh, used to, the county would have to pass a budget, a resolution for a continuating budget, continuation of the budget. That's no longer required. Some counties still do. I, I think y'all still probably get those resolutions. Just saying they're going to operate on July in July on the last year's budget. A lot of counties will pass their budget in July. Um, and some reasons for that is because they want to close a year out or maybe their revenue is so tight they're not sure how much fund balance they're going to have left over and they don't want to overtax somebody. And But y'all are working to, to help them get through that and try to get a budget passed sooner. There's five counties so far. You may have more. We have a few days left in the month, uh, especially Monday night. A lot of commissions are meeting Monday night too, so they may be passing budgets then. What? So well, technically, they only have to get it. They get it to us two weeks after they pass it. So there's actually a couple more weeks that they have. Okay, so that's good information. Uh, they have two weeks after that. So that and when they so let's talk about that. When they pass the budget, when the county commission passes the budget, 
It's certified by the county clerk. It's signed off by the clerk and the mayor. They send the, the budget package to you, and you should be getting, your office should be getting the property tax uh, levy resolution, appropriation resolution, uh, nonprofit charitable resolution if they have it. That's not required, but some counties do. And then the budget document, the three-column budget document. You also want a debt schedule, right? I mean, you're wanting to see their schedule of debt uh, that they have. So they send all Correct. that stuff into your office. What happens when that gets to your office? So currently, um, and just as a plug for our website, we've put a lot of effort into putting all of this information on our website. So you go to comptroller.gov, I guess, and then you look under office functions and you go to local government finance, and it's all there. And we have it under the budgets bucket, debt bucket, utility boards, as well as resources. So I encourage anyone listening to this show that's interested to go to our website and read more about this and, of course, call us with questions. But we have it um, set up as a, a regional, a regional, um, I guess, process now. So each we have six analysts, and we've divided the state into six regions. Um, and there's a big old map on our website. Um, and so you would go and see who your analyst is um, and forward that information to them. Um, we do require a little extra information, like a cash flow forecast, and maybe some information if you've done operating borrowing. So if you've borrowed, uh, if you've taken out a tax anticipation note a couple of years in a row, that's a sign that your cash balance is pretty low um, and you're having to borrow to get through the fiscal year. Um, and so in those instances, we want to see more information. We want to see cash flow forecasts and really not to be annoying, more just to help the local government plan ahead um, and and see you know, see see what we can do to help them. Sure, uh, and that's great. And, and this whole process really starts, of course, we always tell our counties to monitor the budget year-round. But y'all sent out an annual budget memo in January, I believe. Um, yes. And this year, when when we got it at CTAS and some of my counties sent it to me, it was one of the most transparent uh, memos I'd seen in the past. I've been doing this 15 years, and not to be critical mm-hmm. of anybody in the past at that office because your office is great, but sometimes the memo may not have been as transparent or, or, or to the point as this one was. It's pretty clear in here what y'all expect, um, and, and that can be accessed on your website under budget memos uh, and documents, I believe. And so it's pretty clear. Yep. It was short and sweet. I mean, it wasn't really uh, overwhelming. You know, it was, it's just if you have questions, let us know. This is what we require. You have the cash flow in there, as you mentioned, and, and the funny story about the cash flow one year, when this all started, the cash flow requirements, one of my counties did one. They didn't ask me for their help because they thought, well, we can do it. It's basically getting the trustees' reports and looking at receipts compared to disbursements. What they forgot, though, is receipts can vary based on grant revenue. So this county got a pretty sizable grant, but they didn't spend the money until after the year end. Well, they forgot mm-hmm. that grant come in. That, that extra influx of money was part of that grant, so they budgeted that amount of revenue the next year, and, of course, it didn't come in. Well, guess what they spent the next year was the expenses for the grant, so they were upside down. And so those cash flows are very important, but it's very yeah. important to understand what goes in the cash flow because if they're looking just at numbers and not asking questions or thinking about uh, what did we get a big grant that, you know, at the end of the fiscal year that we received in this fiscal year, but we're not paying out till next fiscal year, they got to think about those things. And I know y'all remind right. me of that. And CTAS, too. I mean, that's where y'all come in, we rely on CTAS and the, the field consultants to actually go out to these local governments and explain these items to them. Um, and it's great. It's a great partnership that our office has with CTAS. It really is. And I've enjoyed getting to know you and your new staff. I got to meet uh, a couple of them the other night in Van Buren and, and they're doing great. Communication has been great so far. So y'all are getting the budgets in. You're, you, those consultants are reviewing them. 
do you is it in the process in that office do you say all right whoever the consultant is like megan or steve those are mainly the ones that that had and lori yeah, do, do you yeah. do you just tell them all right if you sign off on it, it's good or does that come up to you after that point it comes up to me okay. we've got a whole process so um, we've put together these checklists basically that track the requirements of the law and sort of our own policy considerations and then we also look to make sure they've got like a debt management policy and just different things that we look to make sure they're fiscally healthy um, we may not disapprove their budget because they don't have those policies in place but we're there to remind them and say you know call task, get a draft maybe work on a fund balance policy if they don't have one um, and so yes the analyst reviews it um, there may be instances where items are missing and so they're in communication with the local government get those items um, they fill out this checklist, um, and then it comes to me, and I do my review of their work, basically, and sign off. Um, and we are being a little more proactive this year uh, when it comes to missing audits, which I think is more of an issue at the city level than the county. Right. But we do have some cities out there that haven't had an audit done timely, and we are just not going to approve those budgets um, because we cannot verify the numbers that they're um, giving our office. Well, I don't blame you. I mean, you you want to be able to trust the numbers, and if they haven't been audited, it's hard to trust the numbers. I was I did a class for Indiana State Registers. I think they're actually called the recorders, but the register deeds to us probably three or four years ago in internal controls, and they told me that they get they get audited every other year. So as in Tennessee, yeah. a county is required to be audited every year. They only get audited yep. every other year, and I was like, really? Yeah, that just blew my mind. And that was Indiana. So well, I mean, that's why we're AAA rated. Sure. Because we are, we've got our eyes on the on the governments, and they're sharing the information. We're way transparent. When I lived in, I spent some time. Obviously, I lived in Texas for five and a half years, and they were a lot less transparent um, with their audits than Tennessee. I was sort of blown away when I moved here and realized you could access all this information on our website. So it's it's great. Yeah, and, and as you said, AAA rating, and that that AAA rating means we're going to get the absolute best rate when the state goes to borrow money. The absolute best rate when they when they go to borrow money and, and get the best offers. John, we have two and a half minutes in this segment, and I'm not going to rush you because we can carry it over, but I want to get back to what you commonly see as budget struggles with utilities because I know you're seeing that all the time. And, and we talked about the leaks, but as far as the budget side, what's the most common problem or struggle a utility district may have? Yeah, and, and keep in mind that with, you know, cities, of course, and counties that have utilities, they have a budget year uh, or a uh, fiscal year of 630 with utility districts we have utility districts that their year end or we have districts that have a year end in every month of the year so um, those are a little different come in kind of all during the calendar year but you know uh, I think uh, as you well know the hardest part with utilities and budgeting is making sure that the rates are sufficient to cover your operational needs and your maintenance needs and your capital needs um, and, and a lot of times where we see budgets get stalled is uh, boards having to make that tough decision to raise rates. Uh, as you know, uh, that construction for utilities is not getting any cheaper. In fact, it's uh, outgrowing almost every other sector in inflation. Uh, the price of chemicals to treat water and to treat wastewater, the price of power that we pump the water with, everything is going up. So so really, the, the struggles we do see in budgets are where boards are having to make those tough decisions. Do we raise rates? Do we um, adjust how many gallons of water may be in a minimum bill. A lot of utilities 
are trying to go to what we call a zero-based minimum, which means that you pay a fee just like you do with your electric or natural gas for a meter, and then you pay for every gallon of water you use. Right now, a lot of utilities have, say, 2,000 gallons that are included in the minimum bill, and then they price it so much per 1,000 gallons after that. So those are really the struggles we see. The other struggle we really see is, you know, utilities having a, a good grip on what capital assets they have because you can't go out and look at a water pipe or a wastewater pipe that's in the ground. It's just not practical for you to go uncover every inch of dirt where you have a piece of pipe laying to look at it. So you really have to rely on your engineers and on your capital asset list to know how many years those pipes have been in the ground, to know uh, what their expected useful life is, and and go from there. So we've been trying to help utilities uh, really understand how important their capital asset list is, understand how important their depreciation is to fund new projects or to replace the projects they have. And, and again, that, that's the struggle we see is just getting a grasp on, are our rates really enough to cover what we need, and what do we actually need? Right. Yeah, and that's similar to county budgeting. I mean, Betsy, we're, that's one of the things we discuss is what's your revenue uh, compared to the services you're providing and what revenue do you need to provide those services and have some left over. So I want to get into that when we return for this last segment. You're listening to Trending. Betsy Knotts and John Greer from the Comptroller's Office, uh, Office of Local Government Finance, are my guests. They've been wonderful. We have one more segment left, and we'll be back in just a moment. So I continue to visit with Betsy Knotts and John Greer from the Comptroller's Office. We have been discussing budgets, utility board budgets, county budgets, and, and John, you just mentioned the struggles utility boards have and what they're looking. The fees have to be substantial enough to provide the services for their customers. It's very similar, Betsy, in county government, city government. You know, one of the struggles counties have, uh, the biggest one is cash flow issues. And your office, my agency, we're working with them on a, a lot, constantly, really, for some counties that are smaller, especially, or maybe these bigger size counties that provide more services they can pay for. One of the common things we see is just a shortage of cash. We have a few counties struggling now. Uh, we, we know Van Buren's struggling, and we're not going to focus on the bad there. We, I want to get into how you're helping them and how I'm helping them shortly. But the cash flow problem is either you don't have enough revenue or you have too many expenses. So when they call me, I'll go in and analyze and tell them, hey, this is where your expenses are getting higher, you're, you're, or maybe your revenue's falling off here, or whatever. And then you try to approach a solution. So when, when you're talking to a county or when your uh, consultants are talking to a county, what information or what uh, procedures or advice are they asking or offering to those counties? So one of our first initiatives um, when we became the Division of Local Government Finance is the seven keys to a fiscally well-managed government. And, of course, it's on our website. You can print out a PDF. We also have um, some short videos kind of just explaining these concepts. But the first concept on that seven keys is building a strong budget for a resilient government. And we are really focused on structurally balanced budgets. And basically that means, and it's exactly what John was talking about, that your recurring revenues cover your recurring expenditures. Um, We see local governments, counties, cities, utilities get into trouble when they start using non-recurring revenues for recurring expenditures. So, for example, maybe they decide to sell an asset and use that money to pay a sal- pay salary or pay some other operating expenditure. Well, come the next fiscal year, that money, they, don't, they no longer have that non-recurring money, and so they're either going to have to raise revenues or cut um, that expenditure. And so we emphasize that, and we, we've emphasized that with Van Buren, 
Um, we want to make sure they put some money into a reserve fund or fund balance, whatever you want to call it, and use that money throughout the year for cash flow because we all know tax revenues come in in February. Um, there might be some that come in in December, but for the most part, they come in in, in February. Sure. Well, the fiscal year starts in July. Um, and if you haven't, you know, Comptroller always say, if you're a squirrel with no nuts, you don't have any nuts come July. <laughs> right. How are you going to get to February? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so we, we focus on that. Um, and you and you were actually you were and I we talked Wednesday. We worked you and I worked with Ambir and Wednesday together with some of your staff, and I bragged on y'all because you y'all y'all have done something unprecedented that normally doesn't happen in the county. You're allowing them to do a tax anticipation note that can be paid back over five years. Most of the time, and the law says that if you do a tax anticipation note in the calendar year, it doesn't matter when. Most of them do it in July or, or, or August or September when they realize they can't make it to February to make payroll and make and pay the operational side. It has to be paid back by the end of the fiscal year. So it's it's less than a 12-month loan. But y'all have made an exception because you're trying to help the county out. You're trying to give them a chance. They're, you're giving them an opportunity to, to get better. And and so I I think one time maybe you had told me that you knew of that y'all had been able to give them a longer life of the payback for a tax anticipation note. So mm-hmm. you're working, your office is working with the county. They are having cash flow issues. Um, we we analyzed that stuff you and I did as well, and your staff, and we're looking through it still. You know they're trying to pass their budget in about a month from the to this I guess this well today or tomorrow whenever it is. But we were there Tuesday night, worked with them on Wednesday. They're, they're having a little bit of struggle, but they can get to where they need to be. And that's where you and I come in as, as your office and my agency comes in to help. Um, amending. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so and amending county budgets is one of the things that y'all help with and I help with as well. And amending budgets are so important. And, John, y'all may have this too. I don't know how amendments work in the utility, but I want to find out in just a second, so I want you to tell me. So I'm prepping you. I'm giving you a little bit of time. But amendments in county budgets – Technically, you're supposed to be approved by the commission before the money's spent. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the problems you see and I see is that don't always happen. The officials will just go mm-hmm. spend the money and it's not been amended. Well, that's where they get in trouble. That's where they get cash trapped. So that's right. you and, 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 and us at CTAS are really focusing on, hey, put make sure you put in your budget resolution how you amend budgets. Um, there's guidelines to amending, especially when you're dealing with personnel line items. So if uh, they want to increase the personnel line item throughout the year, it needs to be approved by the commission. So that's an issue. I mean, you see that a lot, right? The mending part of it. Oh, absolutely. That's why this year we've kind of made it an initiative to ask all local governments to send their amendments to us, not because we want to overburden them. Um, but, you know, if we're going to approve a budget at the beginning of a fiscal year and say, okay, this is a balanced budget, the law says that you must keep a balanced budget the entire fiscal year. Um, if you're going to be spending and not amending and then amending at the end of the year and going, whoops, we overspent by a million dollars, you know, what's the point of the approval at the beginning of the fiscal year? So we don't want to overburden local governments, but they need to realize that's there for a reason. It's a control. Um, and A become, A comes before S, so always amend before you spend. Otherwise, you'll end up in trouble. I like that. I like that. So, John, how many times do you say a utility district want to amend their budget throughout the year? Yeah, it's the same process or should be the same process with utilities that uh, counties follow where they amend the budget before they spend the money. Now, uh, utilities do have some nuances. You know, if we have a pump go out that's uh, a vital part of the system, 
we can't wait till the end of the month before the commissioners meet to replace that pump or half the system won't have water, for example, or if a pump goes out at the wastewater treatment plant. So we have situations that cannot be avoided and that um, when that happens, the, the manager has to spend the money to repair it or the system would be down. But, you know, a lot of times with utilities, even though we do see, uh, like I said, some of those specific situations, utility districts, especially over the years, and, and I, I um, would say it's because of the training that their commissioners are required to have and have been required to have since 2010, they, they've done a, a pretty good job at amending the budget before they spend money uh, and trying to make sure it's accurate. And, again, we, we do have some of the same situations where, you know, we see a utility that amends its budget at the very end of the year to match kind of what they've already spent. Uh, but a lot of utility districts especially are, are doing a good job of, of uh, passing, you know, an amended budget during the year as they go. So it's a similar process, and I, and I thought it would be, but I didn't know how common, if there are any exceptions with utilities. Uh, before we leave, we got a couple minutes left. I want to talk about issue and debt and how a big part of your function uh, in the office, and I'm on both sides, I'm assuming for utilities and counties and cities, I know, is approving debt issuances. And so a couple of years ago, or actually probably longer than that, the, the independence from an underwriter to an actual uh, financial advisor was separated. So th- at one time, you could be a financial advisor and an underwriter. Well, the state said no, no more. And I think uh, Gatsby said that too. Um, one of the primary functions you have, Betsy, is issuing debt or approving issues of debt for counties and cities and utility boards. Is, is that a big process for a county to go through? If there's anything I'm most passionate about, it's debt. Okay. <laughs> I know that sounds funny. Um, I refer to myself as myself as the debt lady. Um, I think local governments sometimes don't understand the importance of debt. Um, you don't necessarily want to pay for everything with cash. Um, I think you can end up in a bad situation when you, you burn through your cash. And when you borrow money um, and extend the, the, the payment schedule over the life of the asset that you've borrowed money to finance, it's actually much fairer to your taxpayers because they're paying a portion each year while they're using that asset. And so I'm a big believer in debt. Um, and in here in Tennessee, um, if a local government takes out a short-term loan, like a capital outlay note, um, a revenue anticipation note, uh, they have to come to us for approval. Um, we also report on refunding. So that's when a local government decides okay, I need to refinance a bunch of my borrowings that are out there and hopefully do it to save money, save taxpayer money. Um, They submit a bunch of numbers and different schedules to our office, and we try to summarize it in a plain English way so that the local government can present it at their their public meeting and understand what they're getting themselves into. So I think a big role of our office um, is helping the local government understand what they're getting themselves into and protecting them from getting into overly complicated, uh, you know, transactions that basically where they're being taken advantage of. Sure. Um, and because they're a part of the legislative branch, we are quick to change laws uh, if, we, if we see there's some abuse going on. Um, most recently, I helped write the balloon debt statute. Basically, there were some elected officials out there borrowing money, pushing the actual payments out to pass when their, you know, terms are up. Right, yeah. So then the next person got elected and had to deal with that yeah. and raise taxes or whatever, um, and that's no longer allowed here in Tennessee. And and what part of that problem, in my opinion, was you had financial advisors out here saying, okay, county commission, you're growing so much. By the time this debt is 15 years old, you're going to have all this additional money you don't have now, so you can pay this balloon payment. 
and it was just false. It was just bad information Absolutely. financial advisors were giving counties, and a lot of counties have struggled financially because of all the cost, all the interest, and delaying that, those debt payments to the Absolutely. last part of that life. Yeah. So you and I both are passionate about debt. I teach a debt class for CTAS, and we hammer balloon, balloon indebtedness. So, uh, John, Betsy, y'all been wonderful. Um, thank you for taking the time. I know y'all have busy schedules, but y'all been great. You've given us so much good information. You're great public servants for our state. Uh, you do great for the upper Cumberland, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, if you need something for me, let me know, and I know I'll talk to you both of y'all soon, but thank you so much for being here. Uh, hope you all have a great day. Thanks,